0: and you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film.
1: Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM. swing for the fences free to play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single,
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, March 26th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Episode 2, Star-Spangled Man. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Brad, you weren't here last week.
3: That's true. I was absent, but I did watch the first episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier.
2: Yeah, so why don't you tell us, uh, what did you think of the first episode?
3: Uh, in general, I, I enjoyed it. Um, It's definitely more straightforward than WandaVision as far as the storytelling style Uh, fits a little bit more cleaner into the Marvel Cinematic Universe as far as just how, how it's shot. Pretty straightforward action, narrative kind of thing. But one thing I do appreciate, and I hope that this is a taste of what's to come for, for all of these shows, is that I like that it um allows us to dig into Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes. As characters and I feel like the the trauma that Bucky is still dealing with by you know being turned uh, into an assassin by Hydra and the struggles that Sam is having as uh, you know a, a black man who is a superhero um, and this social commentary on, on race and you know just his place in, in society um, as this black hero uh, there's, a, there's a lot of interesting things that they're doing that I was not fully expecting um, and so uh, and we'll talk more about how that uh, carries even further into the second episode as well.
2: Yeah, th- these shows are about something more than the movies. And, and by that, I mean, you know, WandaVision being about depression and, all, you know, grief and this being about uh, the racial in- inequality and, you know, all that stuff, which I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, which I, th- I think is very cool because we don't usually expect that from our, you know, Marvel products. Our Marvel content. Um, okay, let's uh, let's get into feedback. We got a couple emails. Uh, to be honest with you, a bunch of them were invalidated by stuff that happened in this episode, uh, so I don't really have much to read. But my friend John Armstrong did tech. I-, I texted him last week about the first episode. And he brought up a point that I did not uh, connect the dots, and that is that you know Bucky has this list of people that he's trying to make amends with, and. It's it's kind of like a cool reflection of Steve in his list of all the stuff he was like. I mean, it's a sad, a very sad version of Steve's list, right? And it, it's also two men at a time, uh, you know, unwilling to, you know, have these lists on their phones. They have these like small spiral bound notebooks. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I always like when, when they do those kind of reflections of other things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I, I think that is intentional. I don't think that's just like a coincidence. But um, Okay, Uh, brief reaction to this episode. Uh, It's finally the Falcon and Winter Soldier, right? Like the first episode had these guys on their parallel tracks or the two separate tracks. This one, they collide and it's all about that collision and how these guys are going to get along with each other to, to defeat evil in a in a time where they you know both have some serious issues with each other and i I really like that the action in this one wasn't as good as the first one but i i do like that they're bringing in all these new characters to the mix and it's it's certainly making this thing a little bit more interesting ben what did you think oh boy
0: um i didn't like it as much as the first episode to be honest with you i think uh I think a lot of this episode just doesn't really work that well. The action stuff, the, the sort of dynamic between Bucky and Sam, which uh, to be completely frank, I've never super like latched onto. And, and that's never been my favorite dynamic of anything that they've been doing in the. Marvel really? I
2: love that bickering back and forth. It's like <sighs> two
0: brothers. Like it's real tough to get right in my opinion. And I, I feel like this, um, you know, the, in, in, you know, movies like civil war and, and other instances where those characters have appeared and done that bickering thing, it has been done. Okay. It's been better than something like Hobbs and Shaw, for example, which I think is like one of the worst <laughs> examples of this kind of, you know, macho bullshit posturing, um, back and forth. That's like a way more, it's a way worse version of this dynamic. But I have to say in, in this episode and there, there were several points, especially the, um uh, the therapy sequence which we'll get to um it just felt like the i don't know i I guess that that part of their relationship came to the forefront more and i personally appreciate it when they're each like doing their thing and they're they're uh focused on a task at hand instead of exploring the relationship between those two title characters which i personally just don't find that interesting and maybe i'm in the minority there but um but yeah, that, that's where I'm at. So because there was so much of a focus on that in this episode uh, and, and because, I don't know, I, I just, I, I wasn't as high on this one as I was on the first episode.
2: Brad, your brief reaction.
3: Yeah, I completely disagree with, with Ben. I am um, I actually, I'm surprised that I'm finding myself uh, enjoying their dynamic even more than that I, I thought that I would because I've been hesitant to like be fully on board with the series just because it felt like it was treading familiar territory, the buddy action cop comedy kind of formula but because of how they're digging into these characters and understanding the the dichotomy between these two I I like this approach of that uh it's 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 easy on the surface to see it's like oh they they like um they have this little bit of like playful rivalry with each other and that carries on throughout the thing but it's a thing where the, the rivalry, I think, feels genuine because they're essentially two people, you know, obviously they're forced to work together because they're both, you know, happen to be the close friends of Steve Rogers, you know, one from decades ago and the other one from contemporary times. And so they each reflect different values of what Steve, you know, uh, found to be the good in people and like people that he thought deserved, you know, a... I guess a second chance, you know, uh, Bucky deserved one on a more extreme level after being turned into an assassin by Hydra and Sam deserved one after, you know, um, you know, previously being in the service and then uh, taking time to focus more on, you know, veteran affairs and taking care of people who had previously been in the war. And so I-, I like the idea of bringing these two together and them having a little more depth as opposed to just throwing two characters together who constantly bicker. And but even then the, the bickering itself, uh, the dynamic between them, I find really funny. The conversations they're having, it's it feels really natural. Um, they they feel like characters who have you know been been lived in for a while. They they understand each other, uh, and so I, I I like that a lot. And I think that the action is is great too. I I, I thought that the fight sequence on top of the two trucks was uh, pretty impressive. I, I, I've been. Um, overall, very surprised by how good and how large scale the action sequences have been f- uh, for this being, you know, uh, a, a Disney Plus series.
2: OK, and uh, this episode is 49 minutes, so it's a similar uh, running time of the first episode. So it looks like we're going to be getting hour long episodes for this entire season, which is kind of exciting for, for someone like me who who likes the the longer episodes
3: i think with credits it still ends up being around like 45 minutes uh yeah so so it's like a a standard hour long you know network cable tv show
2: yeah but last week we were like wondering was it just like a longer opening episode but it looks like it's i don't know i could be wrong but it looks like it might be this the might be the par for the course uh this episode starts with a cold open which makes me think that last episode was originally written with one i had a theory last week brad that originally that action scene was supposed to be the cold open and then go into the logo, and then it was going to go to, you know, Falcon giving away the shield and stuff like that. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, the, the last episode kind of left us with this weird-looking new Captain America announced. And this episode, this is not what I expected. This episode opens with them humanizing John Walker, this new Captain America, is played by uh, uh, Wyatt Russell. And... Did either of you guys find this weird? Because I feel like he's clearly being set up as a antagonist here, but he, they're, they want us to care for him, or do they?
3: Yeah, I think that they, they obviously want to flesh him out. They want him to be a real character. They want to give him depth. They just, they don't want to just make him this. Oh, look, it's a, you know, a replacement Captain America who just flat out sucks, and you should hate him. <laughs> um, it's he. There's there's genuine good behind him and and that's you know the, the best thing about any character that becomes a villain is they feel like what they're doing is the right thing they're just misguided or they have like the wrong perspective you know it's this, it's the same thing with with Thanos what he wanted to do he thought was in the best interest for the entire uh universe but it was just a heinous way to go about doing it and i think that this there will be a a slower build i guess to showing that this guy probably isn't the the best replacement of Captain America. And I think there's, there's definitely hints of that uh, in here that he's a little bit more of an asshole, but I do like, yeah. I do like this, the, the opening that, you know, gives us this idea of that. Um, that's just not who he is necessarily all the time.
0: Man, i really liked this opening scene. And I thought that that signaled that we were going to see this side of this character for much longer because, you know, he's in his like army fatigues and he's talking with his friend and, And um, he really seems to be like uh, taking seriously and and sort of grappling with what it means to become the new Captain America. And then almost as soon as he like puts on that costume, it's almost like a switch is flipped in him and he becomes like this smug dick. And like, you know, you're (laughs) clearly supposed to not like him in this episode because you see bucky looking you know watching his tv broadcast and like you know shaking his head and making this face and we saw the same thing with sam in the previous episode and like obviously the way that he treats them uh later on you know he's supposed to be not a bad guy but a a um a negative force you know like the this this guy who's like swooped in and and he claims that he's done the work, but uh, we as the audience have seen what Sam and Bucky have have done. We've watched them do the work, um, and we know that they're more, both of them, either of them is more uh, deserving. Um, but I, I loved the, the opening because I thought this was going to be oh, wow, this is going to be a little bit more complicated than just a sort of black and white thing. But really, I thought as soon as he put on that costume, it was like, oh, well, there goes a little bit of the nuance that they had set up in that opening. But um, yeah. I would love it if that sort of nuance came back, if that's even possible. I'm not sure how consistent of a of a characterization that would be, um, you know, if that if we suddenly saw, you know, peaks into his psyche in in future episodes or something. But um yeah, I was a little disappointed with that.
2: I don't know. The the filmmakers involved here seem to be interested in those kind of things. We'll see if you know the Marvel Machine, you know, turns into the Marvel Machine or not. Uh, but he's having this conversation with this actress named Gabrielle Bindloss, and when I and he's having this conversation in this uh, locker room of his old high school football locker room. And when I watched this episode for the first time, I thought that maybe this woman was a high school sweetheart that he had to leave behind when he went on his tour of duty or something like that. But uh, the credits say that she plays Olivia Walker. So that is his wife. Do you you think we're going to see more of her in the show?
0: Uh, well, I, I guess I hope so, because hopefully, you know, her presence would, would serve to ground that character a little bit more. And, and maybe he would uh, not be, you know, he seemed to have a, a good relationship with her in that in the very few minutes of screen time that we saw in that opening. So yeah. maybe if she comes back, she will serve to sort of help humanize him i mean even though that's uh, a little bit of a reductive use of that character i'm not sure how much room there's going
2: to be for her to be able to like make a real impact in this series but it it seems weird to introduce that character because it it seems like you could relay all the information to the other character that's there that lamar hoskins Mm -hmm. this is the his friend who he served with uh aka battlestar and uh he tells to him uh He's tired of the meetings, the speeches, the parades. He just wants to do his job and Hoskins reminds him that this is his job. And uh Hoskins is played by Clee Bennett. I think is how you pronounce it. Uh he played he's played he's like one of those actors that you see in a billion TV shows playing cops or military people. He uh showed up in things like Flashpoint, Rookie Blue, Heroes Reborn, The Expanse, Jigsaw, Designated Survivor, Homeland. And uh, he also played Sage, in on the Tick. So I think, Brad, did you see the Tick? I, I think Sage is one of the char- the costume characters, right?
3: I did not see the Tick. I, I oh, am, wow, that's one of my uh, pop culture blind spots.
2: I feel like that that would be a show that you would like.
3: I, don't I know I haven't seen. It, I yet. thought, the, yeah, I thought the same, but I just I have never taken the dive.
2: Yeah, uh, in the comics, Battlestar, who is Lamar Hoskins. Uh was introduced in 1986, and he became the fifth character to assume the alias Bucky before taking on the name Battlestar. So uh, what, what that means for the show, I don't know. Uh, wh- what do you think of Hoskins in the show? Like, it, it seems like he's kind of a reflection of what Bucky is to Sam, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think he's um I was worried when when we first saw this character that he was gonna be like the equivalent of uh of that uh archetype that you've seen so often that um it, you know from 80s movies and then movies that parody 80s movies where like he's the the number two guy to the big bully who's like, Yeah, boss, tell him, you know, like that <laughs> that that thing, like just repeating everything that the guy says, the the, the yeah. main villain says. Um, but it seems like there's a little bit more to this character. I I um again, I'm not sure how much room this series is going to have in in what we have four more episodes now um, to really like dig into this guy's psyche and like tell us a lot about his worldview and and all of that. But he is a black character and I'm curious, you know, like if he is going to um, relate to Falcon in uh, on those terms uh, in, if there's going to be like a literal conversation that those two characters have about their race and, uh, their service to the country and what you know their standing is in the country and all of that kind of stuff it seems like there could be an opportunity there to sort of uh, bridge a gap between the Ste or the uh, sorry uh, Sam and Bucky side of things and then the yeah. the Battlestar uh, new Captain America side of things there um, because the show is so has proven to be willing to embrace and and sort of lean into topics of of race and and, uh, social class and things like that. So um, that would be cool. Uh, But yeah, I'm not sure if he's ever, if he's going to get more, uh, more screen time. Brad, what did you make of this character?
3: Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. I'm I'm curious as to how that their relationship will you know come into play as far as the overall dynamic and like the thematic elements of race and and that goes for uh, Walker's wife too, since she's she's a black woman. And so I'm I'm interested to see if there will be something that comes to a head with Walker as a character where he you know essentially learns something about you know Sam's experience as as far, and as far as what what it would mean to have you know sam as captain america as opposed Mm -hmm. to bring bringing in someone like walker to replace steve rogers
2: yeah that's a good point okay so hoskins mentioned star spangled man which is the title of this episode but was also the song that steve used to come out to like during like those uso tours and it's also the song that's played by the brass band when uh john wilson uh, makes the appearance on the field here uh the new captain america is being interviewed by his in his old high school football field for Good Morning America, because synergy Synergy. yeah, Disney owns ABC and ABC does Good Morning America. But for some reason, he's being interviewed by Sarah Haynes, who is not one of the hosts of Good Morning America. She's a co-host of the View for over six hundred episodes. Why? I don't know. But anyways, um, <laughs> what do you think of the new suit here? I think I like it. I like that star with the A logo on his chest and it's also on the helmet.
3: I like the parts of it. I I don't like the stripes across the front of it because it looks like a almost like a, a circus performer's jacket or something like that, like something you would see in the the greatest showman if it were like turned into this big <laughs> USA show. Yeah. Uh, but I do I do like like certain aspects of the design.
0: Something we didn't talk about uh, last week, Peter, when we saw this new uh, uh, iteration of this costume, is that he has a, a holster and a gun, and we see him use the gun in this episode, and it's just such a uh, <laughs> I was going to say stark <laughs> contrast, uh, a stark contrast, um, between, you know, Steve Rogers who has this shield and like the shield is the thing. It's the symbol. And, and that is such a, um, a powerful image versus a shield and a gun, which this new captain America just uses, uh, you know, wantonly in this, this truck fight sequence. So I think there's, there's a lot of power in the fact that this new character is armed in that way, instead of, you know, just holding up this um, the symbol of defense. He's got he's got some offensive uh, material there as well. I, yeah.
3: I thought this was interesting too, but then I did remember that um, in Captain America: The First Avenger, there's quite a a, a grand heroic shot of uh captain america and his team uh during the war busting into like oh, yeah. a hydra base where he has the shield in hand and then he gets out a gun and they're, they're both they're all I just, forgot just shooting about that so it's yeah. but, but i do agree that i felt that same way yeah. as i i was i was kind of shocked it's like oh so he's not fucking around
0: <laughs> huh so am i misremember did he lose that gun um you know when he became like when he got into the modern era, Brad, do you remember? Because that, that wasn't part of his costume in the later movies, was it? No,
3: he he didn't have a gun when he came back uh, after being on the ice for, for all those okay. years. And so I, it was never something that was addressed like, oh, you're not carrying a gun anymore. It was just something that he didn't do anymore. Right. Okay. I, I don't
2: even think he used it that much in that first movie. I think it was just that, like, one shot or maybe another shot, too. But it wasn't oh, like a good he point. was I'm glad wielding he his that. gun a lot. But, yeah, in the comics, you know, he never had a gun he chose the shield because he felt like the shield would uh better uh, embody what you know a character like captain america is trying to to stand for um the interviewer gives john walker's backstory claims that he tested off the charts in every category and we see him wielding the shield in a way that doesn't look human it looks almost like he has superpowers then moments later he says that he doesn't have any super strength w- what do you guys think is up here
3: I I don't know. Which part did you think that he exhibited super strength in?
2: When he was throwing, when he showed throw the shield and it like went through a bunch of things and then like came back to him. Like it didn't seem like something a normal person was capable of doing. It so
3: helped. I I think that's a fair perspective, but I think that that's just how the shield works because they've they've talked about how the shield kind of defies physics. And I feel like it's the kind of thing with training, you can figure out how to throw it and get it back to you. And he, he's definitely a strong person, but I mean, look at you know falcon doesn't have any superpowers either but he's also um you know would be able to do that as well
0: yeah i I love that that part i like the the um footage the training footage of him throwing the shield it just looks so cool um so even though you you kind of are meant to hate this guy it's like damn he's really good with that shield
2: i should mention that in the comics both him and battlestar did take the super serum um what do you guys think of Wyatt Russell as a whole in the, this episode? I, 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 I don't know. I love his uh, short haircut because we're usually seeing him with longer hair, right? And uh, I think he's very good at playing that, like on the line of like you don't know if you should like him or hate him. Like sometimes he's smug and sometimes he's very relatable.
3: Yeah, absolutely. He's he's got an all American vibe to him for sure that makes him feel like he could easily be. I knew Steve Rogers, but it's one of those things where after you spend some time with him, you kind of understand it's like, okay, so he's it's um, I guess uh, I earlier when you we were talking about, about um, him, it reminded me of Jerry Maguire, where he, I feel like this is a character who plays with his head and not his heart. He's it's all business. And there's not necessarily passion behind it. Once he reaches a certain point, you know, like if, if he's pushed, then like he has no problem fighting back. And I think that, it's there's Steve Rogers had lines and I feel like uh, John Walker doesn't have those same lines.
0: Yeah. That's the thing. He, he doesn't seem like a, um a morally irredeemable uh <laughs> character, like somebody like Tyler Hayward from WandaVision where it's like, you know, as soon as you sort of understand what that character's motivation and end game is, it's clear that he is like a, um you know, not a super villain, but a, like a purely villainous presence. And this, There's enough of a sliver of humanity into that Wyatt Russell uh, brings to this character that you feel like if you know all he needs is like a perspective shift and he could be you know he could be a good guy he could be a character that actually sticks around um, you know well beyond this this show if Marvel wants to use him in that way if he. You know, <laughs> I feel like such an old man saying this, but like change your attitude, <laughs> like you know,
2: just
3: uh, shape of up like... or ship out, <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. So, in, in the comics, he does become a different character, right? Like, he's not Captain America, he's um, oh There's my the god, patriot man. something, it's it's, some... you,
3: it's it's US agent, isn't it?
2: What was that, Brad? Do we lose Brad?
3: No, I'm here, but you guys cut out for a second,
2: okay. for me as well. Yeah uh let me put a time code this is gonna be great uh okay can you say the name again
3: it's u.s agent isn't it
2: yeah you, you are oh, correct that's right. okay so bucky and sam share their first scene for the first time in the series called falcon and winter soldier and bucky gives sam a lot of shit for giving up the shield he's very disappointed in him and uh there's this whole fun exchange about androids aliens and wizards the three villains they usually fight And uh, at the at the end of the scene, Bucky claims that he did read The Hobbit in 1937 as I came across this tweet from Alexis Ned on Twitter that pointed out the initial run in 1937 of The Hobbit came out at the end of the year. It was only 1500 books. So are we to believe that Bucky was a 20 something year old man living in Brooklyn that bought one of those 1500 books of the initial run?
3: I mean, maybe he was just in the right place at the right time.
2: So Sam and Bucky are going on this mission to Munich to chase the Flag Smashers, the group we saw in last week's episode. Uh, Bucky questions Sam about his plan, and Sam says, I have a plan before jumping out of the plane. Uh, We saw a similar thing happen in The Avengers where Steve was asking Tony uh, if he had a plan, and Iron Man says he did the same thing before diving out of the the plane. Uh, Bucky jumps out of the plane at less than 200 feet and survives the fall with no parachute and uh they they find some superhuman people smuggling some big crates believed to be some kind of vaccine. Uh Bucky and Falcon have a great back and forth uh or if you if you listen to Ben, a, a bad back and forth <laughs> arguing like two little brothers. Um I don't know. I I like it. I like when you have this in the middle of action, which I guess is the same thing as what they did in uh, Hobbs and Shaw and it was so horrible in that movie. But uh uh, they see a person in the back of one of the trucks that is taken off, who they think is a hostage, but it turns out to be Carly Morgenthau, who is played by the actress who played Enfys Ness in Solo, A Star Wars Story. So is this going to be her legacy, where she's she's playing like a small, young woman who you don't expect to be the major leader of a big pirate gang?
0: I mean, she's certainly carving out that niche right now. I think her career is uh, is nascent enough where
2: talking yeah. about her
0: legacy seems a little premature. Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
2: uh, they have a big action scene fighting on top of the two semi-trucks. And it, it's kind of fun, but I don't think it's as big or as cool as last week's. Um, the, the new Captain America jumps out of a copter and joins the fight alongside his friend uh, Battlestar. What, what did you guys think of this action scene? Brad, it
0: sounded like you liked it, right?
3: I did. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Um, I I like the choreography in it. I, I love how they use the um, the trucks maneuvering around to do some interesting things uh, with just how Falcon and Bucky uh, navigate the the fight, and you know how the Super Soldiers uh, really just kind of you know kick their ass. <laughs> um, and it's I think it is, it really ramps up to once um, the new Captain America um, and Battlestar show up. And, you know, starts throwing around the shield and stuff. I, I absolutely loved the very quick shot um, when Cap throws the shield and it comes back and Bucky is the one who catches it. And like just without even like flinching, Cap just grabs out of his hand and just the quick glance he gives. Like, are you fucking kidding me?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also like uh, the moment where uh, his friend Battlestar gets thrown off the truck and and John throws his shield to catch yes yeah that, was awesome. yeah that was a cool moment um i will say this about this big action scene is that it it looked like usually with big superhero stuff the geography of what's going on is kind of a mess and you're seeing close-ups and stuff and i feel like they animated the this scene to death because i felt like i knew where everything was and what everything was going on at the same time and i I yeah I wish I wish that of any action scene. Um, the Captain America throws his shield under Lamar. Like I said, uh, Carly punches John Rogers off the truck into a car, and John and Lamar pick up the reluctant Sam and Bucky. Uh, we learn that John and Battlestar found them because they traced Sam's drone Red Wing, which is government property. Which uh. I guess I don't know. I'm guessing there's, that's going to come into play later on as well. Uh, they mentioned this group, the GRC. This is the global reparation council. They're a group in charge of reinstating citizens who have been, who are blipped away, restoring their healthcare, social security and things like that. And uh, they'll be mentioned later in this episode, but I, th- I, I, I love all the world building of what would happen with this blip. And it I love how, instrumental the the what the, the whole blip is seems like it's going to be to the series uh john lamar tried to convince sam and bucky to work with them and bucky and falcon are not interested john says he's not trying to replace steve he's just trying to be the best captain america he can be but he says that right before you know trying to get falcon to, uh, to get sam to be his uh his wingman which I I think is I mean he's kind of saying like uh, oh you'll you'll never be Captain America you you but you could be my wingman, um is is the way I took it, <laughs> um it it really feels at this point of the show that John Walker like oh no every scene I I have new opinions on him so it's, it's interesting, uh Carly's legend is spreading across this this world and people look at her as a new Robin Hood, so the question is how. How is she taking from the rich and giving to the poor? We, we haven't really have we explored that? Have they told us?
0: I don't think so. I mean, I think we're supposed to sort of intimate that, like this robbery of these vaccines are supposed to be distributed to, to you know, people who need it more than whoever they were intended for. But I, I think that's as far as we've really gotten, unless I, I missed something.
2: Yeah. yeah. Carly gets a text message from an unlisted number saying you took what was mine and I'm going to find you and kill you. Who do you guys think this is? Is it the power broker that we find out later? Yeah, I think so. I mm-hmm. think so. Uh, Carly tells her team that we can't let the same assholes who were out back in power after the blip win. The GRC care more about those who came back than the ones who never left. So I think this is really interesting because if you think about this world where half the people in the entire world you know, disappear in an instant... And then the people that had to stay there for all that time how many how many years were they there before they I were put back? Thought it was five, wasn't yeah, five it? years. Yeah. yeah, so they were making do, and probably some of them, like you know, had had it better. They were elevated in their positions and stuff. And now with these people coming back, uh, you know, I I get it. Like people, you know, <laughs> maybe I don't know who who is who should. Be more prioritized during that time the people that had to deal with this loss for five years or the people that lost five years of their life is, is there an answer to that question
0: i don't i don't think so um, but it's a i mean certainly a tough situation i'm glad that they're trying to grapple with it i just wish that the exposition stuff was delivered a little bit more <laughs> smoothly across this whole show really like the, yeah. the first half of half of this episode like the the uh, john walker um, interview, you know, with good morning America, she like pauses in the middle of it and like, wait a second. I think you're being a little too humble. And then proceeds to read off every stat about him, like to his own face. Like (laughs) there's a way to tell the audience that stuff without, you know, sort of breaking into the reality of the world and, and asking us to accept it that way. And, And the same thing with the, with the GRC, when that's first brought up, it's like, you know, one of the characters in the back of the the van is like, oh, the GRC this. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I I appreciate that they're like throwing us into the deep end and like not giving us the full context for this. Maybe they'll bring it up in an interesting way later where it will answer this question. And then immediately, you know, like the next sentence or something, Sam is like, Oh yeah, the global reparations, you know, committee or whatever. Like, yeah, okay, you know, let's think about the reality here. Every character would know what that stood for. So there's no reason for him to actually say that aloud, except to relay that information to the audience. And it's just a little awkward. And I know this stuff happens in every movie. I just think Marvel has been better than that in the past. And I, I just, I wish that they would, um, I don't know. Maybe it's a different thing in TV um, and TV writers are, are you know, used to handling and and sort of doling out exposition in certain ways, but I, I just uh, it felt a little awkward to me.
2: I mean, I agree with you. I will disagree with the Good Morning America because I feel like that's what they do on Good Morning America. They're like, <laughs> it, 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 it's just, that's just how interviews go, I think, or maybe maybe that's my perception of Good Morning America. I don't know, but yeah, I agree. This whole GRC thing was a little clunky, and I had to rewind and be like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> This felt just so weird. Um, so Carly asks uh, her group for a commitment from um, because tomorrow, quote, there's no going back. So what do you guys think they have planned? Seems like something vague. No theories.
0: Man, uh, yeah, it's tough to say. I don't, I don't know. Like Brad, based on what we've seen of this organization thus far, you know, there, there's like a. Uh, is there a connection to the their appearance in the first episode and this like, is this part of the same heist? Is that what's, what's happening?
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm not entirely that sure. To you? No, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I, I, and I think that them being vague about it is probably intentional. Like we'll probably learn what their, their big move is and that maybe it might have some kind of impact on the Marvel cinematic universe at large out, outside of just this series. Um but, and what i but what I also do wonder is how it will either go along with or contrast what uh Zemo will likely be up to because we know that he's not just gonna be stuck in that cell um you know there's footage of him in trailers and whatnot uh being out and wearing the you know the purple mask that he wore in the comics, so I'm curious if you know I wonder if this is something that Zemo will align himself with if they, their plan is to break Zemo out because maybe they know his perspective aligns with theirs. Uh, You know, I, I'm not sure.
2: One thing I was wondering is like, if this is a vaccine, like, so they have all these crates of something that we think is a vaccine. You know, some people think it's super serum. I'm not sure how that would play into things. Um We know that the show we've been told that the show does have a pandemic subplot of some kind because that was reported in the news. So I'm wondering if it could be possible that they're going to set off a bioweapon and have the vaccine to give them the power and give the power to the, the people that are with them. Maybe is that like reaching? Oh, interesting.
0: Uh, Because then they could just issue it out to half the population and get that could be a way to sort of return things to a, a blip world. Yeah. Is that what you mean?
2: Yeah. That's what I was suggesting that I, I don't know that that might be like too big of a thing for this. This group seems super small. That's a lot of death for of a
0: Marvel property to, uh, to yeah. roll out. Um, Cause that seems like something that would be more permanent than, uh, than a snap, you know, where characters could come back, but that would be, that would be interesting and sort of in line with their,
2: um, you know, their sort of worldview. view. Well, I'm not going to say that they get away with it, Ben. Like they could, right. you know, get stopped. <laughs> um, but okay, Bucky tells Sam that there's someone he needs to meet and they go to Baltimore. Uh before they go to this house that they're going to, they meet this little kid who calls Falcon, the Black Falcon. What do you guys think of that whole interaction?
0: Um, I think it's just uh, you know, a way to sort of um humanize the characters a little bit and and give us like a, a small sort of moment of levity and uh give us a little bit of an insight into how sam thinks about himself um so yeah it was just a, you know a nice little moment
3: i also think that there's a little bit of maybe uh commentary there too about how um you know there are certain superheroes that have been you know given a moniker that dictates uh their their race natalie
2: portman is the female thor yeah to, or, you, you know, know that kind of-
3: yeah. So like calling him Black Falcon almost seems like uh, in some ways reductive. But at the same time, on the other side of the spectrum, I part of me wondered if maybe it was a way of um, his dad, you know, being proud and calling him Black Falcon because he is a black man and wants that to be something that's that's prominent. So I yeah, think that's what that's, I was thinking, too. Yeah. There's a couple different ways to read it, I think.
2: Yeah. OK. So they, so they find the slightly rundown house and they meet Isaiah Bradley. He's played by Carl Lumley. This is a 70 year old actor who is a veteran of uh, television and screen. He's had 177 roles over the last like 40 years. And notably, he played Marcus Dixon on Alias. He was a detective in Cagney and Lacey. He recently was in Doctor Sleep and he voices Manhunter in a lot of the Justice League animated movies. Um, It's also worth noting that we meet his grandson, Eli Bradley who in the comics plays Patriot, one of the Young Avengers. In WandaVision, we met uh, Wanda and Vision's children, who were some of the Young Avengers. It seems like they're building up to the Young Avengers. Do you think Do you think they're setting up Eli Bradley to be part of that group?
0: This seems more just like a little comics nod to me um, yeah. than than anything, but uh, I guess there there's plenty of opportunity for him to become a bigger presence later on if they choose to go that route.
2: Yeah, fair enough uh Isaiah has a history with Bucky in the 50s Bucky says that he's not a killer anymore and Isaiah says you can't wake up one day and decide that what you're going to be it doesn't work like that or maybe that does for you um what did you think of this whole interaction between them what do you think Brad uh
3: I think it it fits in perfectly with what started you know in the first episode where there's this there's these underlying um you know racial tones and thematic elements that will be playing through and uh sam 's place as a black superhero and in this case the, I think this commentary comes from the fact that uh, Bucky is fortunate enough that he's able to uh shake this image as an assassin uh, in some ways simply because he's you know a white guy and isaiah Bradley hasn't been so lucky um you know this this is a character from Marvel comics, who was, uh, part of a, 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 large, uh, experiment where 300 African-American soldiers were served as uh, test subjects, um, for the super soldier serum to create more people. And most of them died. And I don't know how much they're going to dig into that, into this movie, whether that secret, uh, project that tried to create more super soldiers will become prominent. But I think that the fact that this is a, you know, a black man who is in, imprisoned and experimented on and everything and treated, uh, Pretty unfairly by the government um definitely has some relevancy to uh the the stuff that Sam is going through right now,
2: yeah, and then the, the, they are told to leave. Sam argues with Bucky in the middle of the street, and this draws the attention of a couple white police officers who begin interrogating Sam before they realize that he's falcon and apologize. Uh, I think this is a great scene by the way I, this the the first few episodes of this show, right at least the first half of the show, I think was filmed in two thousand and nineteen. Before the pandemic, before uh, the Black Lives Matters, like the big protests and stuff like that, and it, it it's so interesting that this show, if if this show was able to have that scene in there before that time, like how, uh, I don't know, it, it, it seems like they 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 had their their hand on the pulse. What do you guys think?
0: I mean, unfortunately, that pulse has been pulsing yeah.
2: for many, many oh, yeah, decades. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, so. I'm not saying it's not, it's nothing insightful, but like it's it's interesting that a big Marvel thing has that, you know, and it was filmed before. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. Like it, it's stupid to say that that's you know commendable. Well, Well, it's it's just
0: I I think I think you bring up a good point in that it's those issues have certainly become like uh, more in in the forefront uh, in in the wake of last year. And that's something that that people might view through a a different lens now. But I think for like, you know, for for Malcolm Spellman and like any black creator in in Hollywood is like this is day to day life life
2: kind of thing, you know. Very true. Uh, In the end, they end up arresting Bucky because he didn't show up for his court mandated therapy session. And it's interesting here that even when they arrest Bucky, they kind of apologize for having to take him into custody uh, compared to how they treated Sam at the beginning of this interaction. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah, the difference there. Um, John Rogers gets Bucky released. John and says, Walker. Or, sorry. Yeah, where did I get Rogers? John Steve Walker. Rogers. <laughs> yeah. John gets Bucky released and says that Bucky is too valuable of an asset to have him have to adhere to these regular therapy sessions so what do you think is going on here because at this point it seems like they're already in this adversarial position but it seems like john is helping out bucky because bucky doesn't want to go to these therapy sessions what what is what is his end game is he trying to get them to join him still at this point
3: yeah for sure He he thinks that there's still a chance that they can work together that they can Team up, and so he's doing him a favor, uh, maybe as an act of good faith, of you know helping him out and hoping that he'll follow suit and do it. But you know, I think this also you know leans into more about giving us an idea of uh, John Walker as a character because Steve Rogers wasn't the kind of guy to throw his name around, throw his authority around, and you know dictate who should do what. You know, he until somebody like essentially put him in the position of being a leader when he was forced to. Whereas we see, you know, Walker doesn't hesitate to, you know, put in a good word and make things happen. He's posing for selfies with people. And so he's acting much more like a, a celebrity and using his, you know, name to do things rather, um, unlike Steve Rogers was. Yeah. yeah and, he's and there's so I think
2: it, full of himself too, like in yeah. that scene in the police station. Yeah. And there's that, that
0: line where, you know he's like do whatever you have to do uh you know we've got some unfinished business him and i and same for you sam basically so uh, i that seems a little bit more um ominous than just like we have a mission to complete to me it seems <laughs> you know you don't re- that's not really something that you say unless there's some sort of uh yeah like ominous intent behind it you know um so i i wonder like what exactly he he wants from them at this
2: juncture yeah well, they meet with Dr. Rayner. She demands a session with both of them. And it's almost like a couple's therapy session. Uh, it's a lot of bickering. Uh, there's a staring contest. Bucky confronts Sam about giving up the shield Steve gave him. And there's uh, that that really sad line that, like, you can see, you know, what this means to Bucky. Where it says, maybe he was wrong about you. And if he was wrong about you, he was wrong about me. What do you guys think about this scene? Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Brad.
3: No no, I, I was just gonna say I, I dug it it's um it's definitely a little on the nose, but you know that's not to be um unexpected in in these kinds of situations sometimes you just have to lay it out there but uh I thought Sebastian Stan delivered it really well you know there there was power behind it, and you can tell that it's something that as um as a character Bucky is concerned about whether or not he can actually be redeemed because he doesn't view hisel- himself as being fully redeemed you know in the previous episode he talked about how he got a little bit of time to himself in Wakanda to kind of uh, rejuvenate and recharge and kind of get a grasp on things, but he still hasn't had much time to deal with uh, his past and his trauma. And so he's, I think he's hoping that what Steve saw in him is true and that he can be redeemed. And so he doesn't want, you know, uh, the, his trust to be misplaced. Yeah.
0: yeah I think that's well, th- well said. I, I, I've i already mentioned that I didn't, didn't really care for like the, the jokey part of this, but I think that line that you read, Peter, the, if he was wrong about, you then he was wrong about me line um like you said uh, brad was it is delivered with some serious power behind it and i'm glad that it's that uh that that is the underlying thing uh, the position from which bucky is coming because you know for this whole episode really he's sort of needling sam about like why'd you give up the shield whatever and for me i was wondering if he was going to come around to the idea to to actually say out loud like you know steve like you didn't deserve it, basically. If you if you turned it in, maybe Steve should have given it to me. Like that kind of mentality. But instead, uh-huh. um, it came to if he was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me. And and you know that that gives us a window into exactly the mindset that Brad just laid out. So I'm I was, I was really happy to hear that that was the the motivation there instead of the other thing.
2: Yeah, exactly what you said. Uh, Sam says it was his choice to make, and Sam suggests that they squash their problems work with each other to stop this threat and plan to go their separate ways after uh, John and uh, his friend are waiting outside the station for them. And, and they again, try to convince them to combine their resources uh, It is relayed that the group is taking the medicine. They just stole to one of these displaced communities in Europe. They don't know where she is now. I don't know. Like a lot of this like exposition, exposition exposition like it doesn't even see like i don't understand where they're going with it like why they're going to one of these communities in europe like i don't understand where exactly it's headed or why i think
0: matters. that's part of the robin hood thing right yeah. like the the idea that these people are displaced um i think has to do with the blip and and people yeah. coming back and then like you know if you uh, have set up you know, in, in a space for five years, and then all of a sudden you have double the people that need to fit, fill that space. Of course, there are going to be, you know, refugee camps and things like that, that, um, where people are fighting over resources and space and all that kind of stuff. So it it makes sense. And I think they say there are like hundreds of these camps set up, uh, across central and Eastern Europe. Um, I
2: I think to your point though, when you were talking about all this is like, they're telling us a lot of this stuff and we don't, we're not being shown it. Like I feel like the the language of cinema or TV is for us to learn by seeing it. Yeah. And just being told it just seems so weird. I agree. Uh, Okay. So uh, Sam says because they don't work for the government, they're free agents. And this allows them to be more flexible. And thus, they will not be working with them because, you know, why would they want to adhere to, like, you know, all the the rules that uh, the new Captain America has to abide by. And John says a word of advice to them. Stay out of my way. So that that again seems a little ominous there. Uh, the power brokers show up uh, and the Flag Smashers need to take off with their, in their plane fast. One of the super soldiers sacrifices himself to prevent them from catching them. Who do you think the power, like what are the power brokers? Like so far, like they've just basically been mentioned, right? Like or have did we see them in the first episode? I don't think we did. I don't think so. So what what do you guys think? Like who are the power brokers and what do they want? That's a good I guess question. They're the they're the ones that are in power that don't want the power to be. I don't know. It seems like such a like uh <laughs> very vague concept. Right it kind of seems like a government organization. Like there's a military
0: force, you know, there's a bunch of like uh you know, like mcu vehicles you know like black uh suvs and a bunch of soldiers get out uh, right outside of the the airport there and then there's like a guy who looks like he's he works for the fbi or something who like makes this call and says whatever he says you know like they got away whatever and he's wearing a bulletproof vest and like a you know it doesn't seem like a super villain organization it seems more like a government entity so i i, I wonder what exactly they're getting at there
2: now, I don't know about them in the comics, but I did some wikipedia And in the comic books, there's a character named the Power Broker. He's a mad scientist who is kind of a satire satire on public obsession and uh, with health and fitness. And uh, you know how I mentioned earlier that in the comics, John Walker and Battlestar uh, got the super serum? Well, they got it from the character of the Power Broker. So
3: interesting. I don't know
2: if that's related here. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Uh, I don't know how that how you even connect the dots because it doesn't feel like they connect, aside from the comics, right? (laughs) Um, But okay. Uh, Bucky thinks that Isaiah was saying that people uh, that my when he said my people, he meant Hydra. Bucky's plan is to meet with Baron Zemo, who knows all of Hydra's secrets. And just then, we leave with their teas for the end of this episode. Like they, teased tease the new, uh, new Captain America last episode. They, they go into this prison cell in Berlin. There's this classical music playing. There's this chess game in progress, and then we see just a just for a few seconds the side of of Zemo. Cut to black. Uh, what did you guys think of the end of this episode?
0: um i'm curious about where it's going i just didn't really love this episode as a whole and i think the the uh you know the tease of him is a lot less um less of a cliffhanger to me than the last episode was because i think we have a sense of zemo as a character much more than we had a sense of what john walker was going to be like and obviously we learned a lot about that in this episode but i think there was there was so much of an open question at the end of last week's episode of like how exactly involved is john walker going to be in these events is he basically just going to be a puppet like steve rogers was you know back in the 1940s is he going to be an active antagonist what's going on and we have this such a history with zemo already that um for them to end the episode saying, all right, we're going to go see Zemo dun dun dun," And then you see Zemo in a cell and then it just ends the episode. It's like, okay, all right, let's just get to it already. <laughs> like, what, what is the big deal here? But, um, yeah, that was just me.
2: Brad, what did you think of the Zemo reveal? I mean, we, we, we knew it was coming, so it's not really like a surprise.
3: Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't shocking. If anything, it just, it just piques my interest to see what they're going to do with him as a character and how he ties into, into the rest of the story. Um, but yeah I mean and I I, I like Daniel Bruhl and I'm glad to see him uh, coming back and getting to do a little bit more
2: uh, let's get into the speculation side of things in the comics I learned the Battlestar would stage attacks for Walker to come in and save the day to look like a hero I'm not sure they're doing that in this in this uh, this show but do you think do you think there's any way that that uh John Walker is working with the flag of smashers.
3: It's an interesting idea um, that it would definitely create a conspiracy thriller kind of angle to this, where the government knows they need a way to, to get people to believe in the new captain America. uh, Now that Steve Rogers is gone and creating a threat uh, like this would be something nefarious enough for a secret government organization to do, uh, in order to instill that faith in people. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. It would, it would kind of be along the lines of, you know, uh, something similar to, you know, the, the, nine eleven conspiracies that are out there and things like that, you know, <laughs> that the government did these things to, you know, uh, strike fear in us and make, help us to rely on the government more for our safety. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting.
2: Yeah, also in the comics at one point Walker was hired to to make uh Falcon fail publicly to kind of discredit him. So I'm wondering if there's going to be part of that in the show at some point. But um I guess that's it. Like I don't know, usually for, you know, when we were doing the one division episodes, there were so many so many questions to ask at the end of the episode, but I don't feel like there is that many questions here. Where where do you guys think we're headed? Like what what do you think we're going to see in the next episode other than, you know, obviously them coming face to face with Zemo.
0: I'm intrigued by that suggestion you brought up about like the idea of introducing, you know, some sort of bioweapon and then like strategically deploying these vaccines to, you know, half the the people. So they can sort of return, like literally return the world to a state, uh, you know, where it was during the events of the blip. Um, I have no idea if they're going to go that way, but I I kind of like that idea now that you mention it. So um, that's as as close as I can get to good speculation at this point.
2: Brad, what do you think? How, do you think how do you think Zemo is going to get out?
3: Uh, that's also a good question. My, I mean, the thing that I just mentioned is really my best theory: is that maybe the Flag Smashers break him out. Um, but we know that he, uh, you know, Zemo is quite the manipulative character. Uh, he knows how to get what he wants, and he is um, he is one of those people who seems to be you know playing chess uh, when it comes to his moves, and so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think um, and uh, the, the one thing that's interesting, too, and this is something that we talked about, you know, w- when we were watching WandaVision is that um, we're getting close to the point where there's not a ton of uh, footage in the trailers that hasn't been seen. The only things that I can think of are like there's a couple shots where Bucky and Falcon are like in a nightclub of some sort um, and maybe just a couple quick uh, action beats that you don't really know sure. what's going on. But otherwise, we're heading into uncharted territory as far as the footage we've seen.
2: And Zemo out of jail, as you mentioned earlier.
3: Yeah. Well,
0: Well, we saw the new Captain America get somebody out of jail in this episode, so if he has that ability uh, and, you know, he could be a, uh, you know, a a diplomat that maybe could get Zemo out of jail, so maybe um, Falcon and Winter Soldier will have to sort of go back to John Walker, like, hat in hand and say, hey, can you help us, you know, get this guy out or something? That could be a way to sort of keep him tied into the action if they don't want to just do the splintering off of you know, those characters being on parallel tracks and then potentially, um,
2: you know, clashing at the very end of the series or something like that. Do Do we think that Zemo is going to be a positive character in this? Like, I don't know. I just assumed that he was going to continue being an antagonist, but they're going to work with him in some way. But I guess, I don't know. Maybe like, it'll it guys- be like a Hannibal Lecter
0: kind yeah. of situation yeah. where like he's in jail for most of the series and then maybe they get him out at the very end or something like that. I don't know, Brad, have we seen like much footage of Zemo outside of Well, there's like, there's, that, I remember there's that shot of him like standing at a statue, um, like sort of mourning the, the loss of the, of Sokovia and like his family and stuff like that. But yeah, the uh, only, has
3: there been more? I of him? There's one shot of him with the purple, like ski mask thing on. And then another shot where he's walking and he has it in his hand. And it's like a slow motion shot, but otherwise I can't recall any shots where like, there's him involved in action or doing anything like significant that would make sense, you know, in the context of the show.
2: (laughs) You can find more of all the work at slash one.com. You can find this podcast on Apple podcasts, Google overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at slash one.com. We like hearing your theories, your speculation. Is there anything that we missed pointed out to us? And maybe we'll read it in an upcoming episode. Please head on over to our Apple podcast page and write us a review. You can write just like one sentence or two. Helps us out quite a bit. Thanks for listening everybody. We'll see you on Monday.
1: Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free to play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single,